Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, Kristen here. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. We have a pretty exciting month ahead because this is the month where we share with you the awesome interviews that we got to do with some of the cast and creators of Slayers. Today, you'll hear our conversation with Chris Golden and Amber Benson, the writers, directors, and Amber, of course, one of the stars of the production. On the 17th, you'll hear our conversation with James Leary, a.k.a. Clem. And on the 31st of January, you'll get to hear my conversation with Leia Delion Hayes, who plays Indira. All of that, as always, on BufferingCast.com. Just click on Calendar and you'll get our full production schedule. And before we go into today's episode, I would like to let you all know that we have entered the final round of voting on the Sexual Tension Awards from The X-Files Season 1. We are down to just three contenders. We've got Scully and Mulder in Tombs. We've got All of Us and Casual Mulder from Fallen Angel. And of course, we have Dr. Scully and Da Silva from Ice. Who will win the Sexual Tension Award to take them all? You can decide. Bufferandcast.com slash STA. Cast your vote. A massive thank you, as always, to Emily McLongstreet, who has been running our brackets for the Sexual Tension Awards since as long as I can remember. So, Emily, thank you for bringing us this joy. All of you, go, go, vote. Uh, And without further ado, please, let's head on into this conversation with Chris and Amber. Listen, today we have a pretty special conversation. We've been talking about Slayers, a Buffyverse story for the last several weeks. We are all beside ourselves excited that the universe has been returned to us. And today we have the honor and privilege of speaking to the two folks who really brought it here, wrote it. Uh, Amber Benson, uh, you are here with us. Chris Golden, you are here with us. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Oh, we're so happy to be here. Uh, We are desperate to know, as I'm sure uh, many people out in the world are as well, if you could talk to us a little bit about where this idea came from, how it got started, how the ball got rolling, how the two of you came together. Can you set the scene for us? How did we get here? The first single-celled organism crawled. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. You know, for me, so there are two different questions there, Jenny. I mean... Uh, so, so that the the superhero origin story of of me and Amber as the Wonder Twins um, <laughs> goes back to actually like uh, I think Amber was twenty two, um, and our my website and Amber's website oh, give was, our ages away. Yeah, uh, listen, you know what? It was last you year. Always, you, you you throw your age out there; it's fine. Um, so. Uh, the same uh, young woman was doing both of our websites. Her name is Ali Costa. And I think Ali was 16 at that time. 
Um, and uh, I was coming out to LA for, I don't remember what for pitches or whatever. And Ali said, you know, you definitely need to meet Amber. So we had this lunch and Amber comes in with like this squad and it was Amber and Ali and, and uh, Amber's sister, Danielle, and a couple of other people. Um, but, you know, we got along pretty well. And then we were out to dinner the next time I was in LA with a, a big group of people, including Amber's mom, Diane. And Diane pulled me aside and said, you know, Amber writes too. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. Like, what is she? Well, she wrote these plays, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I'd love to read them, you know? And then I said, Amber, we should write a comic book together. And yes. so I, I read uh, the plays, including her play, Albert Hall, which is phenomenal. And then we, we ended up, uh, we ended up writing a few Willow and Tara comics together for Dark Horse. Uh, and that was the beginning of, of many, many years of collaborating. Um, Cause since then we've done, uh, two novels, a couple of novellas. We did Ghost of Albion for the BBC Online, an animated series, and we, we've done other comics. So basically, I was I had been talking to Lydia Shama, who was the exec at BBC, uh, excuse me, at uh, Audible UK, and we were chatting, and she told me that they had these rights. And I said, well, obviously, Amber and I need to be the people who do this thing, uh, which excited her, but also... You know, to cut to the end of the story, I've been saying all along that had it not been for her saying, yes, that's a great idea, we should do that, I don't think this thing would ever have existed because I can't imagine the cast all agreeing to do it if Amber hadn't been behind it. Mm -hmm. Because Amber wrote it with me and because we directed it together and they knew that they were in her hands, um, I think that's why we got yeses. And I just don't think it would exist otherwise. Amber, I'm just wondering, like, how that felt for you, how it felt to um, to sit in this seat on this project uh, in a different way than you really ever have before. Well, I never would have sat in this seat if not for Chris. Um, like, Chris held my hand through the whole of it because I was nervous about it. There was a lot of baggage associated with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not just for me, but for the other actors as well. And knowing that that it wasn't just all on me, that I had Chris and then Casey Wayland, who was our other co-director and producer who did all of the incredible posts. He and his team make this sound like a million bucks. They just did such mm -hmm. a beautiful job. And then having you know BBC UK, Lydia and Meg and Marielle over there, just like, just I had such a great support system that I felt like we could do this. We could do it well. And like Chris always says, we could give um, better storylines for some of the characters that maybe didn't get the best endings on the original television show. And so knowing that we could do that, um, that, that gave me the impetus to say yes to this. And I'm really glad I did because it feels like over this overarching sort of, um, sort of uh vibe from from everybody who listens to it that we've kind of told people it's okay to come back into the water that there was some stuff that happened and we were all not sure how to feel about it and now we can come back to Buffy we've wiped the slate clean and like having Indira this new slayer we we are starting over fresh and 
we are building on the shoulders of of great things that came from great people, but we are we are putting a new spin on it, and I think it it, it makes it feel safe again. Yeah. Since you brought up Indira, um, I'm just going to go over to that for a moment because we are. I mean, you know, obviously Jenny and I can only speak uh, for ourselves, but we are just delighted and so excited about the entrance of Indira into the Buffyverse. Uh, and I and I imagine that as uh, the two folks that were at the helm of writing this character, um, that it felt pretty precious and pretty important um, because when you have Spike and Tara and, you know, all of these characters that folks know, you're, you're starting uh, with a history. But with Indira, you're creating this from the ground up. So I would love to hear from both of you about the process of crafting Indira on the page? Well, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll jump in and just say, you know, from the very beginning, you know, there were there were things that we wanted to make sure we did. And one of them was to make sure that we had somebody in the story who was going to be able to um, be the person who reminds you of the things you need to remember from the original story, but also be able to be your eyes uh, you know, in a place where you can't see anything, right? Here, mm. so Indira is this character who can give you, uh, as Amber says, you know, she can give you um, data dumps. That's part of her job, but also we needed an actor who could deliver all of that in such a way that it sounded the way it's intended to sound, which is, I'm excited. I've just gotten my my dream come true. You know, it's like uh, I'm a I'm a Swifty. My daughter Lily is 21. She's a Swifty, and I look at Indira and I think it's like if you're like the ultimate Swifty and you woke up this morning, and Taylor Swift is like, "Hey, do you want to come on tour with me?" <laughs> and that's what Indira is like, mm-hmm. you know. And and then also, of course, like you know, look, the original series existed in an era where uh, people weren't in the business of pointing out things being too white. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, those shows, like every other show from that era, basically, or almost every other show from that era, they were not cast with an eye toward diversity. And so from the outset, we wanted to make sure that when we were bringing in new characters, we were bringing in a diverse cast. Well, it was really funny because we were we were trying to figure out, like, who are we going to cast? Indira is a tough part. She could get saccharine and uh, annoying very quickly if played by the wrong person. And so when Casey, uh, our co-director and producer, was like, I think uh, there's this actress, Leia, who, DeLeon Hayes, who I think would be incredible for this. And the way he talked about her, I assumed that they had worked together before because we were all talking about people we'd work together with and always bring them on. Like I, I knew Julia Cho who plays um, Ms. Bang and I was like, oh, we got to bring Julia in. And like, you know, we were doing all this sort of like, let's bring our friends in. It's playtime. Jessica Gardner, who, who you know, does Amy Madison, like she's a friend of Chris's and, and myself. And, you know, so I just assumed Leia was a friend of Casey's and they'd worked together before. So um we get on our first call with Leia, to Chris and I, to talk to her. And I'm like, oh, and Casey, da-da-da-da, and Casey, da-da-da-da. And she's just kind of looking at us like, uh, yeah, Casey. <laughs> and it turns out she does not know Casey at all. <laughs> <laughs> he had played the video game that I think she won the BAFTA for. Yeah. Yes. And thought she would be amazing. So we just got 
freaking lucky that she <laughs> deigned to even talk to us like what a coup like this was just like like yeah. aspirational casting that casey threw into the ring and <laughs> it worked out so beautifully she's incredible she's a movie star like that kid is going like that woman she's is going, going places, places. Mm-hmm. for sure <laughs> yeah i mean and this is the thing like uh you know you have somebody who's just she's so incredibly naturally talented and that's the thing obviously she has worked at her craft no question um you could see she comes in very prepared she's ready to go um but but also you could just see that it's so natural for her and yeah so fortunately she had she had been nominated i think between the time that she said yes and the time we recorded she'd been nominated for the bafta and she won it like a couple weeks after we were done uh-huh. um but it's also this was the remarkable thing is that you it is a lot i think she was 18 when we recorded it is a remarkable thing to come into a room full of people all of whom know each other and who have worked together in the past or who have connections uh, and in with character so aside from the element of the characters to be able to come into that room confident and uh and ready to play and also the minute she started it was it was Leia and James and James, and as soon as Leia began, you saw the Jameses sort of sit up straight, like <laughs> oh okay, or stand up a little straighter, like okay, we're not playing here, okay, let's get to work, and um, and they both commented on it after that having Leia come in and just kill it made them both go oh okay all right we're gonna you know not that they wouldn't have anyway but you could see a reaction. Um, and she just did that. So yeah, we were, we were incredibly lucky, not only to have somebody of that talented, but having somebody with her confidence level, because how do you come into that room? You're the one newbie who has to mm-hmm. now play off of all of these existing relationships. Yeah. So it was great. It was beautiful to see. And she, you know, was not like a big fan of Buffy. Like she wasn't coming in with, with this like history. Like we were like, okay, well, these are the, you know, we were explaining like, this is the world, this is the mythology. And so she was, it was kind of fun because it was like, we were rediscovering the show through her a little bit. And that Mm -hmm. was really lovely. And the fact that anybody can listen to this, even if you're not a fan, you know, like this is your first taste of Buffy and you can follow everything because of Indira and Leia's performance as Indira. Yeah. Well, and again, she loved to remind everybody that she wasn't born, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did you ever watch this show? Um, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> Probably served well, because I imagine that if you had someone in the room who was a huge fan of Buffy that was trying to play that part in that room full of that cast, it wouldn't have gone... <laughs> It wouldn't have gone super well, you know. It was the overwhelm. Well, we yes. did have we did have two our two uh, main folks from Audible uh, UK, Lydia and and Meg, who was our our publicity guru. Uh, they were both massive, massive Buffy fans, and uh, and they were in, it was incredibly helpful to have them there, mm. um, actually. But uh, but they held off. The only time you could tell because they're very British. So the only time you could really tell was when they, if they got near James in any way, it would blush deeply. No, the be- the best part was when when uh, when James was recording like those opening like noir sort of like opening monologues, and he's doing it in this very sexy vampire voice, 
and everybody in the sound booth is like bright red, sweating, tittering, sweating, <laughs> fanning themselves. You know, he just does that naturally. I think it's, you know, once, once he's in the spike mode, he is just in it. And then you put him with Juliet. Oh my God. The two of them together. It's like, just like, like sparky when they're in the same room together, it just sparks. <laughs> Lord, it really does. I don't know if you remember this, but I was standing between them at Comic-Con as they played off each other uh, as Spike and Drusilla, <laughs> and I yeah. probably will never recover from that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are so appreciative uh, of you stepping in and, and moderating our panel at New York Comic-Con, oh. uh, especially in the height of the SAG, SAG after strike and having to be very mindful about like how we were, we're talking about slayers. And so having you there to sort of guide us, be our, be our, um, our, our captain was, was really helpful. We really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. It was my true honor and privilege. I would like to, there's some general things that we'll still go back and talk about, but um, I'm wondering Amber about your relationship to uh, witchcraft in um, relation to the story here. I've been paying attention because I know that you've written a lot about witches. And I think I recently saw that you um, sort of did a guided tour or like uh, spearheaded a guided tour, right? And so I'm wondering because, you know, when when we go back, obviously we're all uh, fairly familiar with the television show and a lot of the, the spells in the mythology are when you go and you dig deeper, it's like, wait, what was that even? Like, where did those words and, and things come from? But in this series, you know, like any, and I know at this point that anytime I see like a list of gods or goddesses or what have you, that I'm going to look them up and they're going to be anchored in something. Um, and and Chris, I don't mean to leave you out of this. I just know Amber Witchcraft is like a connection. I would love to hear about um, how you brought that specifically into the universe. Well, I, I, a friend of mine, Russell Brown, uh, has a, a nonprofit called Ford LA, and it, it's all about like the residential architectural treasures of Los Angeles. And so for the last, is it four years now, I've done like a, like a spooky trail for Halloween. That's always kind of, we call it the <laughs> witch, the witch trail. And we take these beautiful architectural, creepy looking homes in Los Angeles. And we, and, and Fort does like a trail that you can follow. That's very family friendly. And sometimes like we'll have, you know, like I wrote poems for each of the houses that are kind of creepy. And there's like another one where we had actors read bits of like um, fairy tales. And it, it's a really fun thing that we've been doing every year. And it's a, it's for a great, a great nonprofit. Um, but I do, I do love, I do love magic and witches specifically. Um, and and Chris, Chris does too. I feel like Chris has spent as much time digging, digging around and 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 spells and gods and goddesses, actually more than me even on this. I mean, I think you know, um, we could we could spend an hour just talking about how how fraught it is to write about witches or witchcraft in in a fictional world, given what the real world, you know, the ver varieties of witches and witchcraft are in the real world. But I mean, I do, I love folklore and I love um, uh, mythology and all of that stuff. And I find that with writing spells, you know, cause I've had sorcery and witchcraft and a million comics and books that I've written, it's just got to feel like it could have been something. Mm. <laughs> you know? And, um, and so, um, you know, you start down, Amber, jump in if I'm, you know, but you start down a, um, 
a sort of research rabbit hole and you kind of accumulate things that feel like they should go together. Um, and and particularly then, like whatever the spell is that you want to try to accomplish. It also helps that Amber and I wrote a bunch of spells in foreign languages. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Buffy is, is like, yeah. like just rotten with lots of weird borrowing from all over the place. The TV yeah. show, like, I mean, yeah. if you, if you can think of it, some weird Assyrian like God and there, you know, so that, I think that, that amalgamation of all the different I think that really helped us when we were working on this. Yeah. But what blew me away was the fact that we had all these spells and there's, there are spells in, 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 uh, in German, in Latin, in, <clears throat> I want to say Swedish, um, yep. Norwegian. I'm not sure. I can't remember. No, and, there's definitely Swedish. Poor Emma Caulfield. Yeah. <laughs> what a mensch. <laughs> that she Emma comes the- in and she's like, yeah, I can, uh, I'll, I'll just read it in that language. I'll sound it out. I was just like, <laughs> okay, great. There's there was Romanian, and in fact, one of the yeah. uh, the guys at the studio where we were recording is Romanian. So he came in oh. and helped help with pronunciation. And then oh. uh, one of Casey's um, uh, um, uh, production team spoke mm. or spoke. <laughs> it's a dead language, sort of, um, or non spoken language. But she she's taught she knew Latin, so. So she came in and helped with the Latin and yeah, we were very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, you put it in the script and you kind of, I mean, we, it was such a rush to the end, uh, which is a whole other story, but, but it was, it, you put it in the script and then you kind of forget it's there. <laughs> so then the actors come in the day of and, and, and fortunately they've, they've done their research or they've figured it out. <laughs> it's sort of like, yeah, here's some Swedish work on that. Would you? Yeah. When you say it was a rush to the end, uh, are you talking about the the recording process, the writing process? How long did this whole thing take? We started yeah. before COVID. Yeah. Ah. But yeah, so we've been working on this a long time. We've had to keep it secret for a really long time, which has mm-hmm. been really hard. Both of us wanted to tell and we couldn't. It was very <laughs> frustrating. Um, and Chris will tell you like that we, we, we took a lot of time with the pilot and then, <laughs> Chris, what happened to us? Well, just you know, the, <laughs> basically, you know, the, the the pilot. It took forever for Disney to give their notes on the pilot, mm. and when they did, their notes were actually not very difficult or complicated. And then we did the second episode, and 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 there was a similar sort of long gap of time, and so just waiting for the notes on those two episodes took so long that um at that point amber and i basically <laughs> said okay look we're just gonna write them all we're gonna write the rest and so the the other seven episodes were all written very fast breaking uh-huh. speed. Uh-huh. <laughs> <next> speed yes <laughs> because we could not afford the time that it would have taken to wait for each thing yeah and yeah. so um audible and disney got them in batches after that so we were we were in quite a hurry as we got you know toward the end and we didn't have a ton of time in the studio either what we had was it six days five days six days something like that uh, we had days? we have, i think we had seven we had seven recordings seven yeah <laughs> it's seven all a blur recordings. in my mind there were bits and pieces that were done it's like we did um so this the stuff that tony head did that wasn't with fina um who plays olivia Mm-hmm. Uh, was done with Tony live 
from London. Um, so we were all in the studio in LA and he was in London live with us, but the stuff that he had with Fina was recorded separately um, uh, prior to us going into the studio with that and the Danny Strong stuff and a number of other things that were sort of like recorded by actors in London or other places was taken care of that way. And there was a lot of the sort of monsters and demons and things were recorded after. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but or, the meat or, of the whole thing was done in that seven days with everybody in the studio together. Um, poor, poor Juno. Juno Dawson is amazing. Just knocks it out of the park. <laughs> I think I think Juno maybe was our first record. Yeah, I think she was. So so Juno is like, at, like she doesn't have. There's nobody else. This is just Juno recording. Wow, alone and just kills it. Wow. So the Miranda Spike scenes that we hear are not. They're not in the same room. That's uh, James playing on the recording. Wow, that's incredible. It was it was incredible, and I will say again, Amber, we. We always come back to wanting to make sure we give credit to Casey, too, because, you know, Casey put together the book of uh, basically the spreadsheet of lunacy of of the order of scenes that were going to be when they were going to be recorded so that, you know, when we had this person in the studio, so everything could be worked out. Um, And thank God, because there's just no way in hell. Yeah, the math there is wild. The math that you have to like unlock to figure out what you need before you do this thing, but you also have to do this thing before you do that other thing. That is serious. Bananas. <laughs> In the room, I mean, not that obviously the creative process goes all the way back to the beginning when you're putting pen to paper, so to speak. Um, but in the room, that creative process, um, having the actors there, uh, Amber, in your case, wearing like every hat that could possibly be put <laughs> on your head. Um, I would love to hear at first, like, what are the things that surprised you most about that process, being in the room with folks and recording the things you had written? I, I was very lucky because I could just focus on the directing stuff until I had to get up there. And then I could let it go and just know that I was in good hands. Casey and Chris 100% were on top of what I was doing performance-wise because mm-hmm. I could not even really think about what I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, okay, now I got to go sit back down. We're doing a scene that I'm not in. Thank God. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there, were, there was just, there was so much. It really feels, like I said, like a dream. It feels like it happened to somebody else and I am... I am now reaping the the benefit of this incredible process. Um, but I, I really do credit Chris and and Casey and and, and Lydia and Megan Marielle from from the BBC UK also because they really were on top of anytime I wasn't I couldn't be there to like direct or you know they were on top of what I was doing performance wise and what everybody else was doing. Yeah, it was it was really nice to have the audible folks in the room uh, in the booth because there were times when. You know, uh, for instance, uh, Althania, who <laughs> tried to figure out how do we pronounce that name again? But, but uh. they, had, they had some Buffy knowledge that was really helpful. Um, uh, some of the some of the nerdiest uh, Easter eggs came from them, which we appreciate very much. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, I think, Amber, I totally understand what you're saying about not being able to focus other than on the scene we're doing right now. Yeah. Because we had the 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 spreadsheet, 
And then we were following, moving from scene to scene to scene. <laughs> okay, we could take a 10 minute break. Everybody go pee, go get a drink, come back. Yeah. Um, break for lunch, come back. And um, it was, everything was rushed, but it was rushed in a very ordered fashion because yes. it had been worked out in advance. That said, it was like every time we like, <laughs> Amber, you're in this scene. <laughs> Amber would be like, get up, you know, run to her mic and just do it because then you have to move on to the next thing. And every time, Amber, I remember like every time you'd finish a scene, you'd look over at, at the table with me and Casey, like, are we good? Because it, because you're just like not thinking because you, ha- no. you can't, you can't spend a lot of time thinking mm-hmm. about it. Amber spends a lot of time talking about how great Emma is in this show. And I, and, and mm-hmm. I know we should talk about every single member of the cast and how amazing they are because they are amazing. And Emma <laughs> is amazing. But every time she does it, Amber's forgetting that she did the same thing Emma did, which is the <laughs> different versions of your character yeah. um, in playing off of each other. And so uh, just want to make sure because Amber won't usually allow uh, her <laughs> flowers and she deserves them all. Yeah. Well, I did, I did get to work with a very special performer, um, Mr. Pickles, Mr. Pickles. Who was- Played by Casey Casey Whalen, <laughs> who did I knew it. As you a, were going. Who who did it as a joke, and then Chris was like, "You have to be Mr. Pickles." <laughs> he was like, "I'll get real monkey noises for that." And after he did it, we were like, "No, you won't." <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> so I really, I really did have the best, the best um, performer uh, to work off of with with Casey's Mr. Pickles, um, and with you know getting to do all that with Juliet was incredible. Talk about somebody who actually knows the show and knows her character backward and forward. Juliet found any inconsistency; she knew she just knows it's like it is. It is just part of her. Mm-hmm. So she gave yeah. us lots of like little saving grace moments where she's like, actually, that's not how that was in the show. And actually that doesn't work. And can we rewrite this? And it was always, she was always right. Every time. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. And her performance is just, I mean, spooky and dark and messed up. Oh yeah. It's the Drusilla. It's like the, the chewiest, most delicious bits of Drusilla are, are all uh, there when Juliet is uh, playing the alternate reality Drusilla for us, for sure. Ooh, I have, this is not a a real interview question, but um, we just recorded an episode where I was like, Miss Bang and Drusilla were fully girlfriends at some point. Was that written in or is that just in my head canon? That's in your head canon, but it could have happened. <laughs> I yeah. always, I always kind of felt like there was like a like a weird sexual tension between them. So it make it makes total sense to me because you don't just leave someone at the bottom of the ocean unless they've really. You, I mean, Drusilla just kills them, so oh, yeah, there has yeah, to yeah. be some connection there. We got we get some prequel here, Chris, that we got to work on. Prequel, exactly. exactly. Let's, let's get the second season greenlit for us, please. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a picture in your mind of where you want to go with a season two? I'm knocking on wood. I'm crossing my fingers. Uh, yes. I mean, Amber, you talk about it, too. But I, uh, we definitely have a lot of thoughts. Um, mm. There are members of the cast who have a lot of thoughts. Yes. Mm. Uh, and 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 our, our and want to share those thoughts, which we encourage because, you know, uh, they had no input really the first time around. So it, so we're happy to have their thoughts. Um, there are there are a lot of moving parts as far as like if if X then Y. So there's a there's a um, mm. there's a potential surprise guest for season two that if we got that surprise guest would. <laughs> certain other elements of what we do and no it's not sarah <laughs> i'm gonna play the character again so so there are there are a bunch of moving parts so we haven't actually sat down to plot anything out yet we're waiting for the green light before yeah. we do that because we'll need to, there are a few things we need to know before mm-hmm. we start playing. but we do have certain things we want to do with various characters i personally have a grand plan for tara um, that, that season one was just laying the groundwork for the overall grand plan for Tara. I was just on the phone with with James Marsters. I've talked to Emma, uh, Charisma. Everybody is excited to to do a season two. Everybody has thoughts. Everybody like Emma's so sweet. She's just like, I think we need some singing. Can we have some singing? Anya <laughs> 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 to to basically just be like a right. Um, writing Taylor Swift-esque songs and... Um... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so so we have a lot of fun things to play with um, when we get a season two. I've stopped saying oh, this. Yeah. When? Say when. I'm, I'm, I'm projecting into the future that we will have a season yeah. two. Um, uh, it would be amazing. And we love this cast. It's very much about continuing to service this cast. It's not really going to be about bringing in 
other right. people to then because this is our core group and this mm -hmm. is this is our team and we love them very much and we feel like there's so much story to tell for these characters so yeah. anybody else that we bring in it'll be more cameo-esque than big arcs for for them yeah and i think that's important because this this was we want to it's about loyalty and it's about like this is our crew these are our people and, and being respectful of that to get this group of people in a room together uh to to watch them work to to watch them work together you know we we want to do more and continue to explore those characters these actors um and do new and interesting things. And the cameo I was talking about is not somebody who's ever been on the show. I mean, oh. we definitely, we definitely uh, would like to talk to to Seth about joining us because he popped by the studio randomly when we were recording. He was there to do something else, and he's like, "Wait, what is happening in this studio with all my people? <laughs> <laughs> Why wasn't I invited?" Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Well, we just we ran out of budget, dude." Um, um, we would love, you know, we love Seth. Seth is one of the funniest humans around, and we would love to to have him come and play with us. You know, oh. mostly because he just came in and was like, "This is super cool. I'm so happy you guys are doing this." He's just like such a kind, good-hearted human. Truly, perhaps like the best. Uh male character ever on television you know what I mean like just everyone loves Oz just <laughs> oh I know believe me I know <laughs> when I first came on the show everyone was like we love Oz yeah, yeah. go away <laughs> no uh, I told you Chris that that, that at the, fir the, the first posting board party I went to uh our friend Wendy uh, yeah. I was I went into the bathroom and there were a couple women in there already including our friend Wendy and they didn't see me come in. I just was in the stall, but I could hear them talking. They were talking about how much they love Oz and they wish this terror character would go away. And why can't Oz come back? Oh <laughs> my God. Brutal. This, this was before, wow. I ever, before I ever knew her. And then of course I have to, I'm like, do I come out of the toilet? Do I stay in the toilet? <laughs> Definitely need to wash my hands vigorously when I come out. <laughs> Don't want to be judged. Like, <laughs> I feel like you should have just thrown down right then. Get you guys out. Um, yeah. No, I, I came I came out of the bathroom and I'm like washing my hands and they all kind of look over. They were <laughs> humiliated. They felt so bad because they weren't talking about me. Uh, Everyone loves right. Oz. Yeah. That's just how yeah. it is. Okay, so we talked about Indira. We don't have time to talk about all of the characters that uh, re-enter this universe for us, but I think, you know, to what you were saying earlier, Amber, about um, certain characters in the Buffyverse meeting ends that... Um, much of the fandom and I'm sure much of the cast and crew were uh, unhappy with mm -hmm. uh, Cordelia and charisma is, is, you know, that is a huge heartbeat of, I think the whole project. And so um, I would love to hear you both talk about that. And specifically, you know, you're with all of these characters, you're taking a character who has a history and a past. Um, and for some of them, they're in the reality that we knew them in. But with Cordelia, this is a Cordelia that has elements of the Cordelia chase we knew, but this Cordelia is a slayer. Um, and so I guess I would like to take us to Cordy Corner right now and hear your thoughts about <laughs> the creation of this and all of that. So here's the thing. Um, Cordelia has always been one of my favorite characters, for sure. And Charisma was one of the most interesting people that I met when I was first uh, involved with writing about and writing the books related to the show and all of that. You know, being somebody on the outside watching, I just kept feeling like there were so many things I wanted 
for that character and wanted to happen with that character. I felt like she was such, she was so rife with potential because I also think that charisma's abilities are for some reason, no matter how great she was, I still think she was often underestimated as an actor mm-hmm. watching, you know, watching the show because mm-hmm. the, the, the things that she does so well, so often like it's, is it drama? Is it comedy? It's right there in that sweet spot. It's very hard to do. Um, so she really, you know, is gifted. And honestly, uh, not only were we saying, please come back and be this character again, but please come back and play a version of this character that no one has ever seen before and isn't like the one that you played before. Um, and uh, and she was anxious about it, you know, when mm. she's reading the scripts and, and when we went in to start recording, she was definitely anxious about knowing this character because this was not the Cordelia she knew. So it was about that. But what was great was it just because she had also been up for the role of Buffy. She was one of the last actresses before Sarah was cast who was up for the role, but she ended up as Cordelia instead. And the minute she started playing this part, the, this Cordelia, she was like completely owning it. So all of her anxiety just uh, probably was still there. But the minute that she started, uh, she was, she was amazing. And then we got to see in the relationships between Cordelia and Indira and Cordelia and, uh, Anya. Um, and when she sees the other world's Giles for the first time and these things mm. get these moments from her that are like, these are so great because they're the kinds of things we probably would never have gotten from the original version of the character. So Amber and I were super passionate about giving her a second life in a, in a very real way, that character. So, And, and the same for Anya. I mean, Emma, Emma is a screwball comedian. Why she is not in every rom-com. I don't know. She's incredible in timer. She's so good. So willing to just do and Like when she did the, the, the Jasper puppy voice, Chris, I like your story about it, Chris. You were... well, yeah, I mean, she. we didn't write that voice thinking that she was going to be the one doing the voice. The puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, or that it would be modulated in some way, to some, you know, mm-hmm. somehow. But basically, we're in there, and she starts, she's like, well, maybe it's something like this. And she's, like, testing various things right. out. And she starts doing it immediately. I think I even said out loud, Amber. I think I said out loud. You did. I said, no, that, that's too ridiculous. And I paused and I went, actually, that's perfect. <laughs> that's, that's, that is exactly the right amount of ridiculous because it's completely absurd. Um, but it's and you really, heard it in, in, in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did, she did yeah. it on stage at New York Comic Con. Yeah. Um, no, but but the same with Anya. We wanted to 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 do something different with Anya and Tara. We want these were characters that we felt needed needed something different. The, I think the biggest reason to do the alternate universe stuff was to to have that that ability to to do something different with the characters without messing with the canon of what happened in the show. Mm-hmm. These are these are from an, these are not the same characters. They even if they 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 seem like the same characters, they are not. And so yeah. they have a different a different story, a different arc, a different history. And that that allowed us to do lots of neat things like Cordelia the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Um, yes. Now you've seen them as they are now. 
But the thing is like how they got to who they are now mm. in that parallel is really interesting to me. I'm sure we won't really, you know, we're not, we're not going to do a flashback or prequel um, if we do a season two, when we do a season two. Um, but <laughs> I'm really intrigued by that, by that question of like, this is a world where maybe there's a Buffy Summers, but she was never this layer and none of these people have ever met her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a listener, yeah, as a listener, we're interested in that too. I, I would love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, when Cordelia became the Slayer, what's that story like? All very interesting to me. <laughs> and and we, we do have to talk about the incredible um, comedic chops of, of, of James Leary. Oh because without Clem, oh like we... And and he does the the drama just as beautifully. He he's like that that he is he is a walking tragedy comedy mask person. Like he does them both so well. <laughs> but without those comedic beats that he brings to the to the project, I, I don't think it would work. Um, and Danny Strong does that as well. Both of them have these really funny moments. But 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 Jimmy, I mean James. Because he's he's not Jimmy Leary anymore. He's grown up, and we're all grown up. Oh my gosh, it's James Leary. Um, he's incredible. I mean, the stuff he did, and the 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 look on people's faces when he would like do these crazy Clem things, just was. It was so much fun to be in studio to watch him just go. Well, it was great too, as you know, he's somebody who has been a friend of ours for a very long time. You know, he had lots of fans who loved him. But he hadn't worked one-on-one with, um, I mean, I think really just James Marsters, right, of the of the people who were there. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. But I def- I can't remember if, if I had a scene with him, but he was he would be around. Yeah. Because he had the softest ears. Softest ears. <laughs> you guys don't even know. Um, Clem ears. Yeah. And, but so the thing is, like, for him to be to be playing a much larger role that, that put a lot yeah. of weight on his shoulders to 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 supply all of this the comedy all of the sidekick energy that you wanted but also to get these moments of like heart-wrenching like humanness out of this character one of my favorite things for the whole recording was was watching the other members of the cast reacting to him and being like oh okay he's really good and mm-hmm. and having him feel like he was getting that response from them and giving him like a uh you know getting that reward uh of of being appreciated by his his castmates it was, a, it was a beautiful thing to watch honestly and then when we were in new york for comic con his sons were with him for the weekend and they're you know they're they're not little kids they're they're um uh, ones in high school ones in college i think and having them be able to see him get the kudos that he was getting uh and you know be, i think amber and i both went up to them and were like you know i hope you guys are proud of your dad because you know and they were like oh we are it was it was great to see you know um so yeah i mean the whole process was it was just great you know half the reason to do it again is just to like get the band back together you know oh my gosh yeah. but the two biggest troopers were, were uh tony head and, and james marsters because tony was eight hours ahead of us Yep. So, oh my God, poor guy is like, <laughs> like, like getting late and he's, you know, we're in, it's morning for us and it's getting late for him and he's having to, 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 you know, zoom in and he's recording in a studio away from all of us. And I mean, just 
like such a trooper and he's just always wonderful it doesn't matter what he does he's just great i really could listen to him read a phone book he's like so (laughs) engaging and so yeah and then james mercer's the biggest trooper because he was sick he came in not feeling well and we ended up putting him in a little iso booth with windows that could see everybody else Mm. and he was determined he's like even if it's not working because my voice, um, because I'm sick, he's like, I want to be here for everybody, which is amazing. Oh, he's like, we'll just we'll just re-record stuff after if I have to. And his stuff was still so great. We barely had to do any re-records. Yeah. Because he was so yeah. even sick was so on point. <laughs> he was he was really sick, but it was important to him to be able to give the performance for the rest of the cast to play off of. Yeah. And he thought he was going to come in and then record like 90% of it again. And in the end only ended up recording a handful of lines really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was that level of support, you know, that, you know, to make sure that everybody, that he gave it, he gave everyone everything he had to give. Um, and then with Tony, I will say Amber, my, you know, again, like when he first appears on screen in the studio and the rest of the cast was like, Oh, um and uh <laughs> and he he held up he had brought his um mr giles placard from the door to the library oh. or from the desk in the library ah. and of course so he held it up and you know everybody was yeah it was great i mean it was oh man so good was such an incredible team i mean talk about like a charmed experience mm-hmm. as much of, of it being run and gun and trying to get it done in a timely matter, uh, manner, um, we had an incredible group of people we were working with. It really, it, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. It really doesn't. We are so lucky to to reap the benefits uh, and to get to sit oh, and listen yeah. on the other end. I know you guys come from like that, the music side of things. Well, Jenny does. I just ride sidecar. <laughs> <laughs> but we had like incredible <laughs> composer, Jonathan Dinerstein, who came oh, in yeah. and just knocked it out of the park. I mean, I had worked with him on a film called Drones and uh, John is fabulous. And then I have to plug my uh, my partner, Mike Sawitzki, who is a member of the Eels and this other band Dispatch. He did our our reboot of the opening theme. So we got Which really rips. lucky. Yeah. yeah, we got really lucky with the music. It's it's all so good. The harpsichord theremin cemetery <laughs> cue like lives rent free in my mind. I'm like washing the dishes and I'm thinking it and humming it to myself. It's so good. Well, John's wife, Becky, actually is a violinist and all of the Juliet violin stuff, the oh. Drusilla violins, that is her. Like it's beautiful. It's, it's almost like another character. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the sunlight spell and Andre Kurgan. And we're wondering like um, where that came from, if it was inspired by anything, if uh, you just pulled it out of the ether uh, where good ideas uh, sometimes <laughs> just hover nearby. Is that what we're calling our asses these days? <laughs> yeah. 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 I definitely would say if you're looking for ether, check your ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is the the, the key element, so often it's like there's a question and then you have to answer the question. And the question is, if Drusilla is the queen of vampires and she she presents a global threat, how does one vampire 
present a global threat. And we know that she has access to incredibly powerful witchcraft. So the sort of global threat always felt like, oh, well, how do we make being able to command all the vampires in the world, essentially, much more threatening? Well, you make them not have to hide during the day, right? And and uh, and so that was kind of the thing. And so once you get the answer to that question, then it's like, well, how do you do that? Yeah, um, you have to reverse engineer it a little bit. Mm. Yeah. We were really, you know, very aware of the, like, the logic factor. I think that's something Chris and I both, like, good storytelling is good storytelling. And making sure that your rules apply and that you stay on top of them. And we worked really hard. So, so, uh, any, any, anything that doesn't follow that, uh, I'll take responsibility for Chris. Chris, Chris, No, that's fine. I'm sure it's me. Yeah. No, no, no. The Kurgan of it all is, is so powerful too, because of his, I mean, obviously we only have a bit of his backstory in this, but speaking of like doing the prequel, I've said a couple of times in our pod that like, I would love the watcher story of Kurgan. Like he, he seems to embody something that I think is one of the most important elements of the Buffy verse, which is that even the, villainous characters or even the characters who might be the threat um, have their own reasons for doing what they do. Like it is grounded in a gray place. It's not a black and white thing. Uh, and I love that so far of what we've learned of, of Kurgan. Yeah. Well, Kurgan is also that, you know, there's that thing about politicians who, who get involved in politics because they think they can fix the system from the inside. Mm. And then they get mm. into the system and the system is so corrupt mm. And that's like Kurgan wanting to do something about making vampires be able to live amongst us because that'll solve everything. Kumbaya, you know, <laughs> it, it, it'll be great. And 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 then getting like corrupted by contact with all of that, yeah. um, you know. But that is a, an ongoing theme of the show and an ongoing theme of, uh, of, of you know, the best kinds of of horror stories and fantasy stories, um, which is also Tara's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we very much wanted to make sure that there, there there was a balance for Tara, for the alternate universe version of Tara, because she's such a good-hearted human, and that's very important. And after all the stuff the fans went through with her, we mm. wanted to make sure that that goodness was always there underneath, even if she took a darker turn in our in our world. Um, and I and I think we did that. I feel I feel very good about that but that was very important to me and i think to to chris and to to lydia that we we maintain that that part of the tara personality because that is so important tara is being corrupted but the core of her is not corrupted and is constantly fighting yeah you know fighting to regain you know sort of control and honestly yeah. like not to get all too meta but that's like yeah. That's true about so many of us in real life is like we get corrupted by things that are outside us, but the inside we're like, no, hang on. I got to sort of reset and get back on, on the right path with this. That should we go forward when we go forward with a, with a season two, um, there are grand plans in place for Tara that, uh, that have nothing to do with, uh, her being anything, but, um, the best possible version of Tara that we've ever seen. Amazing. Nice. Yes, uh, something that, and I I know we're we're wind, we're winding down here, but um, Amber, hearing you talk about um, 
I guess, you know, I was going to say the duality of Tara. I guess it is a duality of Tara. And then there's also Kurgan. But I think it's really beautiful what you said about, you know, that the or maybe both of you said this, that the that the goodness in Tara is battling. It just made me think about how, at, at, at least at this point, um, we know that Anya is also um, battling on behalf of the goodness that she sees in Tara, which I also think is so powerful because it, you know, it's one of those things where like, if you're battling on your own, um, can you, can you win that battle? But if you have, you know, the people who love you sort of saying, but please remember, please remember, um, mm. that has a power to it as well, which especially when you're talking about Tara and Anya and Cordelia, I mean, come on, like that's goosebumps level stuff, you know, that's, that's, that's really powerful. I, th I think it's part of the longevity of, of Buffy in general is this idea of found family, mm -hmm. that we're all looking for our found family. And that I, I think it happens with with the actors in this, like we all like we became a found like we were a family again. It was yeah. really, really magical. And then for the fans who find their families and, and are part of our bigger extended family, mm -hmm. um, I just I think we have to pay tribute to that and and it is there in this story that that idea of of these are the people that will always have your back even when you fail yeah. because we all fail. Yeah. Well, on that beautiful note, <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. Yeah, honestly, um thank you both. I definitely... That's just the ether coming out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, but but really, thank you both, um, of course, for being here and talking to us today. And, um, you know, all of the folks that listen are just going to be delighted to hear these stories. But thank you for thank you for bringing the Buffyverse back to us in such a powerful yeah. way. It's that that sentence doesn't do it justice, but um, it's it's really a powerful moment for all of us who love uh, these characters and these stories. It was very healing for all of us, too, who were who were making it. Well, oh, thank you, guys. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.